after Jonathan baptized his wife, Amy, did he get a kiss? You're getting baptized Sunday, okay? Next week. <laughs> Please join with me in Romans chapter 1. I'm continuing the series on uh, uh, truth o'clock in America. It's time that we had some truth about some of the issues that have been raging across the nation. And this morning, my subject is primarily homosexuality. If you have children with you today and you don't think that uh, this is an appropriate topic uh, for them, feel free to uh, escort them to children's worship. Any of our members or ushers will help you, and we want to be a great big help to you there. Uh, I think parents need to introduce these issues to their children when they feel like they're ready, uh, not when others feel like they are, and I want to respect that. G.K. Chesterton said that before you tear down a fence, make sure you know why it was put there in the first place. People put up fences for a reason. There's a reason why fences are erected. Um, it could be, and I've seen fences, that would protect us from pollution. If you walk upon it, there are some polluted areas of the world that would eat through the sole of your shoe and uh, burn your feet. Uh, some would protect you from bad dogs. Uh, those are all over the places. Fences do that for us. Uh, I do. Um, there could be some that protect you from tigers. It reminds me when I was a freshman in college, the freshman dorm uh, was uh, joked about and that they let a man-eating tiger loose in that dorm and that male dorm and it starved to death. You know, a fence could have uh, improved the situation there. Uh, you'll, you'll get that at 12 o'clock today, some of you. But in any case, fences serve a useful purpose. It's hardly ever that an unnecessary fence is erected or put up anywhere. God has fenced human beings adequately from immorality. And in the case of Romans chapter 1, from sexual immorality, and even more in particular, homosexuality. God has done that. He's put a fence around it. And for all the years of human history, We've done that as well, and the West did until recently. Now, the majority of the world still has a fence, legally and otherwise, uh, sometimes brutally so, and I don't agree with that, but sometimes even e legally, and mostly legally around the world. Uh, and so it is odd, it is unusual time in human history where the United States does not and the Western world does not. We need to figure out why it is God has erected a fence around this same-sex behavior. And let me say to you, if for some reason you're struggling with same-sex attraction or behavior, I want to say you're in the right place today. You are. We want you here, and we want you to immerse yourself in biblical truth, and we want to serve you in uh, that way. You've been very wise to come here, and I want to assure you, the best friends that you have are not people who will approve of same-sex behavior. The best friends you have are those who will love you and embrace you and challenge you on that behavior. And this message is going to demonstrate why. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say that you probably need to carefully and quietly remove yourself from those friendships where they approve of it. It's not going to help you one bit. And this text in Romans 1 is going to explain why. If you're struggling with this or other, some other kind of sexual sin, um, it, it, it many times the case is that adults have imposed themselves on you. They may have said something if you're a guy and you were ever held a Barbie in your hand. You're gay. 
It's not quite that extreme, but they start manipulating you. And that crowd will do so. If you're a girl and you happen to like um, uh, certain male things, then uh, they'll say, you're a lesbian. Uh, it's not quite that extreme, but they will manipulate. It may be something on that end. It, it may be something as severe as abuse or a family breakup. But usually what happens to kids and teenagers when they start having these uh, feelings of which they're ashamed, adults in one way or another, or someone from the outside in one way or the other, has imposed themselves upon that kid. Uh, and sometimes that could even happen in young adulthood. So I want you to understand If you're struggling with these things, you're not a freak, and you're not weird. In fact, I'm very hesitant to call you homosexual or gay. Very hesitant, because I don't want us to get the idea that there are some other human beings besides men and women. There aren't. The only time there's a homosexual or gay person, biblically, is when they act that way. Otherwise, you're a man, you're a woman, and you're not weird, and you're not a freak and you're not strange. You, you are who God has made you to be. You're struggling, and you're struggling like much of the rest of the human race with something, and something significant. But I want to assure you, you are a man, you are a woman, you are not a freak, you're not weird, you're not strange, and you are welcomed here, and we want you here. Now, I will tell you, um, occasionally we may annoy you because we're going to preach the biblical truth, and it might sting, and this message is... I have to tell you, it, it's going to sting. I, I really, um, I'm usually pretty excited about most series of messages I preach. I, I'm heartbroken over this one. It's very, very difficult to, to preach these messages, and it, it frankly wears me out. But in any case, your prayers are appreciated. Now, the question is, why does God fence us from same-sex behavior. I want us to read beginning in verse 16 of Romans 1 down to verse 19, and we'll look at the rest of the chapter in the balance of the message. Paul says here in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it's written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has made it known to them. Now we'll see in the balance the unrighteousness he's talking about is same-sex behavior. Why does God fence the human race from same-sex behavior? Well, he does that in order to keep us from several things. First is eternal displeasure. Now verses 16 through 19 make it clear that God has provided the gospel, but he's done that because there is wrath. There is a wrath of God. Now some might uh, retort and say, wait a minute, God is love. How can you speak of a God of wrath? Well, the truth is Jesus Christ is both loving and just, compassionate and holy. Jesus is not to be truncated or reduced or minimized in any way. He is everything the Heavenly Father is, and there is no difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And the Gospels, by the way, are just like Paul in this text. One-third of the Gospels, about 27 to 37%, are full of Jesus' condemnation of sin and His threats of God's wrath and His fury and hell. 
These don't come from someone that's a bit overzealous, that's an itinerant preacher, maybe like an evangelist. This comes, and these words fall from the lips of the Savior, who was God in flesh, and no one ever taught as well as Jesus did. So there's not a wedge to be driven between Paul and Jesus. There is a fullness to Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to show you a video clip here that demonstrates the emphasis of the Scripture moving forward in these days. Take a look, if you will, at the uh, screen. You might think it's strange to mix that video clip with a message like this, but you need to understand the day of the Lord is coming and there is a real God with a real fury and a real wrath and He will express that in the coming of Jesus Christ. That clip is perfectly illustrative of the fury and the wrath of God against all the puny gods and idols of this age. And listen, that's what happens. That's what happens whenever we begin to replace our own views of behavior and morality for those of God. We end up becoming our own gods, and I just need to tell you, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the unrighteousness of men and women who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, the Scripture says. But turn a few pages over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, um, uh, beginning in verse 9. You've got... You've got both that are mentioned in this text in Romans and then also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look what he says a few pages over in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he doesn't say, but those whose lifestyles are constantly marked by unrighteousness have no hope of heaven. Listen. If you prayed to receive Jesus and went to the baptistry and you continue to live for the devil, you have no reason to believe you're saved. Well, well, I walked the aisle and went to the baptistry. Then you need to understand that was a false profession of faith or a hypocritical profession of faith. It is entirely possible to do so just like Judas Iscariot. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say, do not be deceived. Don't let people's religious practices fool you at this point. Look, look, it gets worse. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is not individual expressions of these sins. These are lifestyles where people immerse themselves in the sexual immorality or in thievery or covetousness, something of the heart. He makes it very, very clear. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not deceive yourself with someone praying a little prayer when they were six. Do not deceive yourself. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we cannot place our sense of security in a false place. When Jesus comes into the life, He begins to clean it up. He begins to change it. He begins to transform it. And He makes a difference in life. I remember hearing about Billy Graham got on a plane one time 
And a man that was thoroughly inebriated looked at him and said, Hey, are you Billy Graham? To where the whole plane could hear. It's real embarrassing. He said, Well, yes, sir. He said, I'm one of your converts. He said, You must be. You're not one of the Lord's. It is very possible to make a false profession of faith. Do not be deceived. But here's some good news. Just like Romans chapter 1. And such were some of you Corinthians. But you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. There is good news for anyone who has deceived themselves into a false sense of security. You can be washed sanctified and cleansed. And that's the same picture that we see here in Romans chapter 1. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For as it says, the just shall live by faith. For the righteousness of God, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the sin of men. Do you know why there's a good news? Do you know why God slaughtered His Son at the cross? Do you know why He invites the whole earth to repent and place faith in Jesus? Do you understand why that's the case? Because there is a wrath. There's a gospel because there's a wrath. There's a death of Jesus because there's a hell. And God would rather save and God would rather rather save than God would rather to judge. Now in verse 16 we find wrath's remedy. The gospel of Jesus Christ. His death and His resurrection. And not our performance and not our behavior. Then the extent of his wrath. In other words, everyone needs it in verse 16, the Jew first and also the Greek. The the, the entire world, Israel, a special particular people God called out, they needed God's salvation because his wrath was on them. And then the rest of the world that is covered up by the term the Greek. And, And then there's the consequence. The consequence is the righteousness of God, which is a gift, is revealed From faith, from beginning to end, if I can paraphrase. Faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall live by faith. The only way that you can live eternally, outside the wrath of God in eternity, is to repent and place faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the kind of faith that will begin to purify your life sexually and otherwise. And the causes, verses 18 and 19, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. God provides the gospel because there's wrath. He would rather save than judge. And when God fences same-sex behavior or other sins, He's doing so because of the possibility of eternal displeasure. Of course, God is going to respect your right to choose. And if you want to die in your sins, you may. But today, God is inviting you to repent and place faith in Jesus. So at the end of our service, we will sing a song at the end of my message, and we will invite you to reject anything keeping you from Jesus and to entrust yourself to Him and Him alone. And if you'll do so, God will clean you up and make you as if you had never sinned. You can approach God with the same favor and the same love enjoyed by His Son. He will embrace you in the beloved. And I hope you'll do that today. That is the message of the gospel. So God is trying to fence us from eternal displeasure, but second, from personal damage. The same-sex crowd would have us believe that same-sex behavior is normal. It is not. 
it is terribly damaging. And verses 20 through 27 talk about damage to hearts and damage to health. Damage to hearts, verses 20 through 23. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him, nor were thankful. You see, their sins arise in verse number 18, and the consequence is they reject God from their life, and they're not even thankful. But they have become futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts are darkened. Oh, it gets worse. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image, is precisely what happened. And so there's a damage to the spiritual life. Oftentimes when people engage in immorality, they become very angry with God and angry with the church. They doubt the Bible. They doubt Jesus Christ. It is very, very difficult to be an orthodox believer on one hand and at the same time engage in this kind of behavior. Something has got to give. They do not walk together in peace and harmony. So that's damage to hearts, but then there is damage to health, beginning in verse 24. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worship and serve the Creator rather than uh, creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, and Paul's very understated here, but it's very clear what he's referring to. Also their men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which is due. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the best resources to use to establish the uh, deleterious health effects of same-sex behavior is simply the Center for Disease Control website. If you'll put in some search terms there, it will come up and you'll find all sorts of health difficulties that arise in the lives of those who engage in same-sex behavior. Not only that, but the health pages of gay magazines. They counsel one another about these issues and have got uh, really some excellently written, uh, by the way, health articles, health advice, and health counsel found on them. I I don't really want you going out buying gay magazines, but that's where uh, there are some resources. Then William Lane Craig's book, Hard Questions, Real Answers, he's done some excellent research on this. But as unpleasant as it is, we must understand that to violate the law of God in this area is to damage the heart and damage the health. For example, those who engage in same-sex behavior have higher rates of prostate damage, ulcers, chronic incontinence. They have higher rates of HIV, AIDS, and STDs, colon and rectal cancer, and hepatitis. In 2006, 82% of known, um, of known sexually transmitted AIDS uh, cases occurred among men who engaged in same-sex behavior. Three times more likely to be problem drinkers. 47% have a history of alcohol abuse. 51% drug abuse. Far greater than the, uh, than the rest of the population. They have a shortened lifespan of at least eight years. Smokers, seven. Gay women are more likely to suffer from breast cancer and obesity, abuse of alcohol, tobacco, drugs, and hepatitis. Also, those who engage in same-sex behavior suffer more from depression. 40% of the men versus 3% of straight men, 37% 
of same-sex women. Suicide rates are higher with men, same-sex behavior men, six times higher than the national population. God is trying to fence people from the damage to their hearts and to their health. Now somebody might retort and say, wait a minute, love should be legal. Listen to me carefully. Look at the end of my nose and hear what I'm saying. This is not love. Now men can love men, women can love women and have a sincere love, but the moment, the moment same-sex behavior enters the picture, it stops being love. And it becomes nothing more than an expression of selfishness. It is not love. Listen, love means you don't hurt somebody. Love means you don't woo somebody into a behavior that damages their heart and damages their health. Love means you look after them, and in this case, love would mean you leave them alone. That's not love. That's not love. That is an odd definition of love. So God is fencing the human race from personal damage. But there's a third thing. God wants to fence us from mental debasement. Look at verse number 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. In other words, they think like God doesn't exist. They think in secular ways. They don't want to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. So, here's what we have. We have the behavior, and then we have its effect upon the mind. And Paul says what results here is a debased mind. Uh, This can be translated a mind and a way of thinking that is not genuine. Uh, A a way that is mixed with dross, which happens to be an impurity in metals. Um, A a way of thinking that is disqualified, in other words. And I've seen this, read this, compiled uh, objections and answers to these things. The way of thinking in same-sex behavior is, in many ways, debased. Uh, Somebody might object, wait a minute, if you try to change someone from engaging in same-sex behavior and being gay and homosexual into following the Christian way, you're going to harm them. And that's the basis of law now in the state of California. They do not allow any counseling or therapeutic remedies that help gay people become straight. It is against the law in the state of California. Ladies and gentlemen, the research does not show that. The research by Mark Yarhouse, in fact, uh, in his book entitled Ex-Gay, shows the exact opposite. There are increased levels. Whenever uh, gays involve themselves in Christian programs, there is an enormous sense of relief that is significant, clinically significant, where they end up having far less stress and anxiety over their challenges and difficulty, and there's either medium or large change and reduction in attraction, same-sex attraction, and there is medium to large-scale change in behavior as well. And ladies and gentlemen, it simply doesn't, is not justified by the science that, to say that harm is done to those leaving the gay lifestyle for the Christian faith. What you will find, in fact, is that the rush to these conclusions has been so quick and has been so intense that they have not kept up with the science. The gay rights movement is one of the most anti-science movements in the nation. Oh, somebody may respond, wait a minute, you're a bigot. You're a homophobe. Well, my response is this. Is name-calling supposed to be a substitute for thinking? Name-calling doesn't help us. 
Are we interested in the truth or name-calling? Now let's talk about bigotry. Bigotry is, um, bigotry is intolerance of someone else because they have a different opinion. Well, that's not most Americans. It's very difficult to live that way, even in a marriage, if you're a bigot. Uh, for example, this past week, there was a professor at a Tampa University that tweeted that Houston was experiencing karma because of its support for the GOP and Donald Trump. In other words, the Texans deserved Hurricane Harvey and the storms. And he was fired for that. The university was intolerant of his opinion. May I say to you, I don't believe people like that, and I think the man is entirely wrong. He's a flaming liberal and has made it known. He's in the sociology department, and he, which doesn't necessarily require you to be liberal, but uh, he was... Um, I know, I know, I know. But he was fired. Personally, I disagree with that. I don't think a person should be fired over their opinion. He apologized. Move on. Get past it. And so... I'm not for that, but there are many in this crowd that would like for Christians to be fired from their post because they believe the biblical position on these issues. So we really don't have the problem with bigotry. I don't want anyone fired from their job, especially if they apologize and get past it. I, 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 don't, I, I don't agree with that. And then the, the, the accusation that we're homophobes, I'm not afraid of any homosexual. Never have been. I've had homosexual friends since I was in high school and throughout college, and, and on and on. There's no fear there. I, I don't see anything to be afraid of. Uh, then some may say, wait a minute, we, you, you've been prejudiced in the past, um, uh, uh, Americans have, against those of a different race, and, and now you're doing it to us. And so they'll equivocate between race and same-sex behavior. Problem with that is, I don't know any former Hispanics, Asians, or Afri African Americans, but I know a lot of former gays. And many of my uh, friends, African-American friends, Latino friends, and Asian friends are terribly offended by the comparison. Race is not a choice, it's a gift of God. Behavior is a choice, and it always is. Uh, somebody may object and say, well, God gave me these desires. Can I tell you how many times I've heard in my counseling office a man say, you know what, I know I'm married, but I've fallen in love with this other woman, and I've got a heart for her. I mean, she's just the right thing. Do you want me to tell him that God gave him those desires? No, you want me to do something else with him, don't you? Well, I do. Well, I don't do what you're thinking, but I fuss at him. God didn't give him those desires. He gave them to himself, or the devil did. And in a society like we have, you're supposed to restrain your desires. You make commitments, you keep them. You know what, you, know what you have when you have a a society that restrains its desires. Do you know what we call that? We call that civilization. Do you know what we call it when we don't? Barbarism. Then somebody may object. God made me this way. There's no scientific evidence that there is any genetic relationship between same-sex behavior and genes. None whatsoever. Then somebody might say, wait a minute, separation of church and state. Well, I've not gotten onto the state, but separation of church and state. Okay, what about the churches that support the LGBT agenda? Will you separate them from the state? 
So the state cannot get in favor of that because there are some liberal churches that support that. You see, ladies and gentlemen, this is a debased way of thinking. And what we've done with all of these objections is that we have demonstrated the truth of Romans 128. God gave them up to debased thinking. God is fencing us from debased ways of thinking. But there's a fourth thing. God is fencing us from social decline. Now look at the movement between verse 28 and verse 29. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And here's the consequence. Here's what naturally flows from debased thinking. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. In other words, the same-sex behavior results in a debased mind which blows open and blows away all social restraints, and the result happens to be verse 29, 30, and 31, and 32. Two questions. If we cannot disapprove of same-sex behavior, is there anything we can disapprove of? Can we agree to disapprove of anything? I ask that. That's a serious question, and it's a problem, and we've been anticipating problems from the embrace, popular embrace, and even government embrace of the gay rights agenda. Already, there is in the court system cases where men are suing states for the right to marry multiple women. Polygamy is making a comeback. One woman has married her pet. And another woman has married herself. I hope she's good enough for her partner. But anyway. <laughs> this is what we've been warning about. We've been trying to tell the nation, if you approve of this, you're going to have to approve of everything. So my question is, if we cannot disapprove of this, what can we disapprove of? But there's a second thing. Look quickly back at verse number 29, 30, 31, and 32. I want to ask you, what kind of environment do these behaviors and attitudes create for children? A sane society organizes itself around many things the primary of which is the welfare of children and women and families. A barbaric society will maximize sexual freedom at the expense of all three of those. And that is precisely what has been happening slowly since World War II in the United States. What kind of environment do verse 29, 30, 31, and 32 create for children? Some of you grew up in places like this. Some of your parents got an early start on some of these behaviors. They didn't wait to the 80s. They got started in the 70s. 
What kind of environment does this create for children? Well, let me tell you. Anything other than a mother-daddy family who set uh, anything other than a mother-daddy family sets children on a course for low performance in about every significant social area of life. Low performance in school, drug problems, mental illness, teenage pregnancy, and poverty skyrocket and go through the roof. Children from traditional marriages, however, are seven times less likely to live in poverty, six times less likely to commit suicide, about half as likely to commit crime, and about half as likely to become pregnant out of wedlock. They grow better academically and socially. They experience better health as adults. They have a higher literacy rate, and they graduate at higher rates. Now, I do want to encourage you. If you've struggled with some of these things in your marriage and family, God can intervene with His grace, but don't presume upon Him. It's not automatic. You've got to name your sin, repent, and radically abandon yourself to the grace of God. You do that, and God can make up and compensate for a lot of this. But I have to tell you, it doesn't happen very often. What happens is that most people have got some moral confusion and some moral failure in their background, and they spend the rest of their lives trying to justify themselves before preachers and churches, and they eventually just completely go away. Instead of abandoning themselves to the radical grace of God. Don't you be one of those. Don't you do that. It is marvelous what God has done. I have read, oh, I've got 16 biographies on one particular man that had a home like this. And he came up to be the 40th president of the United States, Ronald Reagan. His mother abandoned herself to the radical grace of God, and it made a difference. The LGBT rights movement essentially states to children that they have got to take the back seat to their desires. Jennifer Morris uh, stated about the gay rights mindset regarding children. Gay adults are entitled to have what they want. Children have to take what we give them. Listen to me. You can labor. You can labor for the welfare of children or same-sex behavior and rights, but you can't labor for both. They are mutually exclusive. They exclude one another. You can labor for one, but you cannot labor for both. Now, that's the wonderful thing about Jesus. The Scripture says in Philippians 2, 3 through 5, it says, Do nothing from selfishness or vain conceit, but in humility of mind, let each of you Consider the interests of others is more important than yourself. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So Jesus looked at our interests and weighed them against His own, and guess what He chose? He chose our interests, and He is the model. And so I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with this issue, be like Jesus. Take your interests... And set them aside and put the interest of children and the kingdom and the Lord Jesus first. Because that's what Jesus has done for us. That's why he went to the cross and suffered as he did. It was a lot more important, it was a lot more important for him to save you and provide the grace and power needed 
to eliminate the wrath of God, get through this life, and enjoy the next. It was more important for him to suffer the slaughter that brought that about than it was to preserve his own life. And for that, God raised him from the dead. Can I say something to you? I'm going to anyway. But Jesus is worthy. He's worthy this morning, right now, in the song we're about to sing. Jesus is worthy of whatever it takes for you to renounce what's keeping you from Him and to trust Him and Him alone as Savior and Lord of life in eternity. He is worthy. Listen, He puts your interest first. It's time for you to do the same for Him. And how do you do that? The Bible says repent and believe the gospel. Reject and renounce, set aside, dismiss anything that's keeping you from Him and trust His death and resurrection alone. Invite Him into your life to cleanse you and forgive you. And He is going to hear you today. In fact, He's paying careful attention to you right now. And I want us to pray about it. Would you stand with me, please? And let's do serious business with God.